Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. If you think about national championship contending teams, it's kind of a club, sort of like a nightclub or something like that, then the... You know the 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 entry into that club the uh the cover charge that's the phrase i'm looking for the cover charge you have to pay to be in that club i believe is elite defensive line play that you know you have a great quarterback and you have a great wide receiver and you can have all these kinds of things and that can make you fun to watch and it might even make you good but if you want to be great you better make sure you've got elite defensive line play it's to me the thing that separates the you know the sec from the rest of college football if you look at a program like ohio state that sort of thinks of itself as somewhat sec like in the big 10 what makes them different than the rest of that that league it's also a history of playing you know pretty good on the defensive line there as well that whatever the group of teams that you would consider as legitimate true national championship contenders the cover charge they pay to get into that club was elite defensive line play that has been true for georgia now for quite some time and if you want to make sure you maintain that as a strength moving into the future you've got to win those kinds of recruiting battles there's always going to be a small number of truly top flight defensive linemen it's probably true for offensive line there as well but but in the in the defensive line space there's always going to be a limited number of high quality elite athletes that have the size to play in the defensive on the sec and those recruiting battles in every year are always going to be some of the most important battles that you wage and there was a time not all that long ago for georgia you want to go five six years in the past something like that that this georgia team unfortunately more often than not had been kind of on the outside looking in for these big time defensive line recruiting wins but somewhere along the way that changed a lot of that i think has to do with trey scott we'll get more into trey here in a moment but somewhere along the way under the leadership of Kirby Smart that changed Georgia started winning with the very best defensive lineman in state and in many cases the very best defensive lineman around the country and lo and behold they've got a stack of national championship trophies those two ideas are closely connected now I say all of that as a precursor to saying welcome to dog nation to Justin Green the four-star defensive lineman this is a guy who you know you look at 24-7 sports composite things like that this is a guy who's sort of knocking on the door of being kind of a top 10 defensive lineman nationally knocking on the door of being a top 100 recruit overall this is a big time recruiting win and early this morning fresh off an official visit to Georgia this past weekend Justin Green was ready to go public and he was ready to announce his pledge the georgia bulldogs in fact we'll show you the nice if you're watching a video good looking edit of green there uh i love the story that jeff Sintel wrote about justin at dognation.com this morning announcing that commitment and jeff tells a great story about justin maybe one of the most important things to understand about him as a player the fact that you know over the course of the last what year year plus this guy's added a lot of good weight become a bigger guy that was already kind of a power five level maybe an sec level uh you know recruit you know a couple of years ago but has now gotten on the radar for the university of georgia simply because now he's added the kind of elite size that goes along with the kind of plus athleticism that you want from a defensive lineman and georgia trey scott to his credit staying in close contact this entire time ready to scoop up and win that commitment battle now that green i think has really improved himself as a prospect this mountain view high school it's kind of in lawrenceville georgia so checks the box for georgia when it comes to Gwinnett county that's an area in which georgia has not 
you know always won with overall but uh, you certainly uh, win with Justin Green here and I think that is uh, really good news it also is kind of funny because we've actually already been on video this morning talking about the Justin Green news when I think we took the air somewhere around 7 30 or so Green announced his commitment probably 15 20 minutes prior to that like really right at almost 7 a.m maybe just before 7 a.m uh Green announced his commitment there and it got a lot of talk nation kind of off guard I think even Kirby Smart's go dogs tweet was a little late this morning because of how early Green announced that commitment I thought David Cooper who's a part of the you know a great part of the Georgia recruiting staff had a funny tweet about all of this about dog nation kind of you know wiping the sleep out of its eyes this morning and uh waking up to the good news here let me show what David Cooper had to say about that he says them boys couldn't even walk the dog in peace this morning they found out we've already added another elite young king in the building <laughs> he says the trench bomb has uh, got them stressing and uh, obviously David Cooper is always really funny with the tweets that he puts out you know celebrating all the good recruiting news that Georgia gets but this morning indeed and you see the funny uh, meme there with Matthew McConaughey there as well a lot of Georgia fans had their coffee interrupted the breakfast interrupted as coach Cooper says there, walking the dog was kind of interrupted this morning there as well with the fact that Georgia won this major recruiting battle and I, I think the place I want to go with all of this just for a moment is this is that if you want to talk about what makes Georgia Georgia right now I do believe it's the success of Georgia's position coaches that are kind of demonstrating program strength as much as almost anything else is. And that's not to disrespect Kirby Smart. Obviously, Kirby Smart has proven himself, we believe, to be the top coach in college football right now. But I think back to when Kirby was first hired, and I think back to some of the early recruiting success that Georgia had. You know, think about the class of 2017, as a for instance on this. Early groundwork for the class of 2018 even as well. It seems like at the time what Georgia was doing was leveraging some of the relationships that Kirby Smart had built with players while he was an assistant coach at Alabama. And as you know, many of you who follow recruiting kind of understand this, that you're, you have freedom and uh, ability to connect with recruits as an assistant coach in a way that you kind of don't as a head coach. Head coach's contact with recruits is more limited uh, than the assistant coach who can be kind of out there with them all the time. So when Kirby first became a head coach, he had all these recruits that he knew really well. And Georgia, I think, got some easy recruiting wins in the first couple of years under Smart because Kirby had long, well-developed relationships with a lot of recruits in a couple of different classes, and Georgia kind of benefited from that. But there was sort of the skeptic at the time, and I think this was a fair question to ask, but the kind of more skeptical-minded person at the time was also looking at this, and they were saying, okay, well, Kirby's getting these easy recruiting wins right now, but we're going to find out in a couple of years what kind of head coach Kirby's really going to be because at that point in time, he's going to be recruiting guys that he doesn't know quite as well as he recruits these guys right now. And it's going to be about the kind of program he can build, the kind of assistance he puts in place, the kind of continuity he can maintain with those assistants. There are people back then who were saying, we're going to find out more about Kirby Smart as a recruiter and as a leader of a program in a few years once it's his assistants that he hires that's out there doing the work that Smart had been doing when he was working for Alabama. Well, guess what? Now we have seen the full fruit of that kind of come into full uh, display here, and we are quite impressed with what's coming to the table. That Kirby Smart legitimately, I think, has been able to hire and hold on to best tight ends coach in the country in Todd Hartley, best linebackers coach in the country in Glenn Schumann, who's also now defensive coordinator. You know, guys like Fran Brown, Shadero Yuzo-Deribe look like rising stars in the coaching ranks. They were identified by Kirby Smart. You know, on and on you can go. Veteran guys like Stacey Searles and Brian McClendon being kind of back in the fold here. And a guy like Trey Scott, who when he was first hired by Georgia, let's face it, you know, Trey Scott was not a famous guy. He had just recently been hired by Ole Miss after having been at UNC. And frankly, when you're working at North Carolina during that era, 
you're not winning the kind of recruiting battles that would have given any kind of indication of how good a coach a guy like Trey Scott could be at a place like Georgia. It takes an eye for identifying a rising star in the coaching ranks the same way that Kirby Smart has a good eye for identifying, you know, you know, player talent. You have to identify that coaching talent there as well. And Kirby Smart clearly did that. But when you look at the way in which the Georgia, once again, going to have an elite defensive line, we believe it'll still be the best in the country this year, even absent Jalen Carter and absent three first round picks from the 2021 team. We think the 2023 Georgia defensive line is still going to be just fine. And it's a guy like Trey Scott who I think deserves the credit for that. And Trey Scott embodies, I believe, what's very, very good about Georgia right now. That The ultimate string that Georgia has is I don't believe there's a program out there at all that has a deeper array of position coaches than what Georgia has. So when you see another win like this uh, for Justin Green coming into the Georgia program, I think it points to the work that Trey Scott's doing on a daily basis. And to accentuate the, 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 the point that I'm making here, I want to go back. You know, one of the things that Green told another outlet was, hey, I looked at the way in which Georgia was having such great defensive line success. He was naming players that had kind of come through there. And basically, he said, I just kind of want to follow in the footsteps of all of that, that the success that Georgia has had has impressed a guy like Green. He wants to be the next generation of all of that. Well, one of those defensive linemen that kind of came of age at Georgia, eventually became a first round pick, was Devontae Wyatt. And if we're going to credit Trey Scott for cultivating this defensive line now over the course of a number of years, what Wyatt said about uh, uh, Trey Scott just prior to. NFL draft two years ago when he became a first round pick to me this resonates heavily and this is why guys like Justin Green want to be a part of this team and maybe Justin Scott coming up here very soon other great defensive linemen in future years it's the relationship that a coach like that a coach like Trey Scott forges with these players that makes all of this happen so when you think about why Justin Green chose Georgia the words of a guy like Devontae White a couple of years ago I think explains this very well now the audio quality is not great on this because it was from pro day and there's noise all over the place but I still want you to hear it this is Devontae Wyatt speaking about the special relationship he had with Trey Scott and this is why Georgia wins so many defensive line recruiting battles this is Devontae Wyatt he did an amazing job he asked me for three guys and the guys in the room right now the guys we had in the past but he did like definitely like a father figure he's been a coach when he needed to be he's been a dad when he needed to be he's been a mentor when he needed to be and he's the, he's the guy you can depend on He's the guy you can call. Like even like if you're going through something, you can call him. Call call Coach Scott. Yeah, definitely. He'll make you laugh or give you great advice. So listen, we live in an NIL age where I think that the overall nature of recruiting is probably more transactional than it's ever been before. But don't let that fool you about relationships not mattering. Relationships still matter. And what Devontae Wyatt says right there is why Trey Scott wins so many of these big-time recruiting battles, like the one that was just won for Justin Green. That he can be a father figure when he needs to be. He can be a coach when he needs to be. He can be a mentor when he needs to be. If you just want to laugh, Trey Scott can make you laugh. If you need some good advice, Trey Scott can give you some good advice. Those are the words of Devontae Wyatt. Kirby Smart will tell you, hey, that Trey Scott's influence on Devontae Wyatt probably made him into a first-round pick. And other guys like Justin Green are seeing that right now, too. So when you think about Georgia winning another major recruiting battle, obviously you celebrate that by adding Justin Green here to this 2024 class. Always important to get good defensive linemen. Make sure you pay attention to one of the assistant coaches who's helping with making that happen. Obviously, uh, Trey Scott doing good work there. Now, all of this comes just a few hours after Georgia got some bad news in the recruiting trail uh, yesterday there as well. Sammy Brown, five-star linebacker, really from just down the road in Jefferson, Georgia. He chose Clemson. 
you know, listen, a lot of folks kind of knew that Clemson was going to be a major factor in his recruitment. I'll, I'll tell you, as a Georgia fan growing up, going to games, I lived in Hall County. We'd go down 129 to get to Athens, and right there in Jefferson, very near Jefferson High School, we'd always stop and have – there's a place called Catherine's Kitchen. We used to stop and get breakfast every Saturday morning going to the games, and, you know, right there at the 85 exits right there where it was. And when we'd stop and go get breakfast there – uh it'd be georgia fans in there getting breakfast before they're going down to athens there as well but there were also a bunch of clemson fans usually in there too on their way up 85 to go to clemson and so if you want to get an idea of kind of where jefferson sits it's just a few miles down the road from uh you know from athens but it's also just a few miles south basically down 85 from where clemson is so clemson's always kind of been a little bit of a geographic factor when it comes to stuff like that sammy brown's kind of always had an interest in clemson i think that sammy brown's a really good player and i would have really 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 liked to have him uh, in this Georgia class for 2024 I think most Georgia fans probably would I wish him well uh, going there to Clemson you know unfortunately I think when you have won as many linebacker recruiting battles as Georgia has won in uh, you know last couple of years certainly I don't know that there's any program that has any more depth in its in its linebacker you know situation right now with its linebacker group than Georgia currently does I think that made the Brown recruitment a little bit more difficult. I do. I think that Clemson would have been a factor no matter what, but I think the depth that Georgia has at the linebacker situation probably makes that even more of a challenging recruiting win for uh, Georgia. Ultimately, they are there are recruiting battles in this 2024 class that are going to be more important for Georgia than another great linebacker. So I've stood on the table for Sammy Brown as a player uh, you know, plenty of times, even with the, uh, the success that Georgia's had recruiting the uh, linebacker position Sammy Brown's always been a guy that I'd like to have seen at UGA. That's ultimately not going to happen. He's going to Clemson. I think that George is going to turn its attention now to players that probably needs more than maybe it needed Sammy Brown. And so we'll see if Brown and Georgia meet up on the field sometime in the near future and kind of see what happens with all that goes down. You know, Clemson's going to be a factor for guys like this. And uh, Brown made his choice. We wish him well with that. And we turn our attention for Georgia for the guys that it needs to finish off its 2024 class. And the good news of the dogs here this morning, a major piece kind of has fallen into place. Justin Green, big-time defensive lineman. The dogs who have the number one class right now in the class of 2024 also displaying some momentum. Some of that momentum kind of coming into fruition here, and Georgia fans are certainly going to like all of that. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Uh, we're glad to have you with us no matter how you get to us. 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We're all across all kinds of video platforms. We're on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 96 The Ref. We're available as a podcast, Apple, Spotify. We post the show at the world famous dognation.com. Everywhere else that you kind of find podcasts, you can also find Dog Nation Daily. And we're really happy to be able to do that with all of you today. Big thanks to our friends as well, Engineered Solutions of Georgia, who make it all possible. Listen, I know you've heard me talking about Engineered Solutions of Georgia for a long time here on the show and i think maybe some of you kind of wonder okay well when is engineered solutions of georgia the right phone call for me to make well you look around your home you see evidence of certain things and that evidence is going to be kind of a cue to you of oh yeah ba said if i saw this it's time to reach out to our friends at esog so if you see that kind of 45 degree angle crack sometimes your sheetrock it's one of those things where like if it's kind of moving its way like this then you kind of know well that's not quite how it's supposed to look that 45 degree angle that kind of you know crossways 
uh, kind of crack there. That's potentially the son of a foundation issue, and that's a cue to you to give our friends in Engineered Solutions of Georgia a call. Or if you got those stair step cracks in your brick, you know what I'm talking about, where it kind of just kind of uh, sort of looks like stair steps there a little bit. Well, that's also once again a signal that hey at least finding out what's going on here from our friends at engineered solutions of georgia that's probably the right thing to do plus if you see that water leaking into your basement frankly you know that you don't need me to tell you that you already know that's the kind of thing that you gotta have seen about because water left unchecked over time can do a lot of damage so if you get that water creeping in where it's not supposed to be once again that's a signal to you to call our friends at engineered solutions of georgia any of those things pick up the phone kind of find out a, a, a company that's been in business and a solutions-based company for more than 15 years they're locally owned they've got an entire team of engineers on staff ready to do great work for you there's really nobody else in our marketplace that can dedicate that kind of resource to solve those problems for you that is what engineered solutions of georgia is all about they're also a proud partner of uga athletics it's fun to support those that support the dogs that is what engineered solutions of georgia does there as well so make sure you give them a call 678-ESOG-NOW that's 678-ESOG-NOW and use them as a great resource as a solution for your foundation your waterproofing issues make sure you check out engineered solutions of georgia today all right we're going to talk to uh, connor riley here in a couple of minutes that's going to be really fun i'm going to give you an update on a great dog nation contest we're currently doing right now that's going to be really fun there as well so we got a lot of business to take care of as it relates to all of that prior to that though i'm gonna go around the doghouse and almost this never happens but yesterday it did <laughs> i guess i was kind of fired up about the kirk herb street stuff off the top of uh yesterday's show and if you haven't heard that yet i hope you'll go back and listen to that we were talking about what i thought was a fairly asinine line of logic from uh herb street about georgia a year ago and his belief now that georgia as he says it right now only the third best team in the sec on paper that lsu who georgia manhandled in last year's uh, sec championship literally uh and uh, alabama are a little bit ahead of georgia he said we thought that was pretty ridiculous and so we kind of gave uh, herb street a little bit of grief for that yesterday kirk herc's a guy that generally speaking i think i kind of like i think he's you know a fun analyst and there have been plenty of times over the years when herb street's been pro georgia but we're not going to let you know nonsense stand just because he's been good to uj in the past what we thought uh he said was frankly pretty ridiculous and we called him out on that but what i intended to also make as a part of yesterday's conversation was something that kirby smart had said last week smart was at the sec spring meetings in destin florida he's talking about a number of subjects some of that we're going to kind of get more into in the days ahead but one of the questions that smart was asked after two straight national championships you know one of the teams that herb street mentions that he thinks is better than than uh georgia right now alabama if Kirby thinks that his team has actually kind of finally put Alabama in its rearview mirror and actually kind of surpassed Alabama as a program. And if those comparisons that media types, certainly like I've been guilty of this, a lot of media types kind of want to do the Georgia Alabama comparison. If uh, Kirby kind of thinks he's kind of finally kind of moved ahead and moved past Alabama as a program. And Kirby Smart says, well, listen, I'm not quite so sure that I, you know, have been a part of some of these comparisons as much as some of y'all think. And ultimately kind of went on to talk about what matters to him when it comes to a comparison with Georgia and Alabama or Georgia and anybody else. This is actually good stuff as an addendum to what we were talking about yesterday. I meant to include it as a part of yesterday's show, but we'll do it here right now. Kirby on what he kind of does not really think is a very relevant comparison between his team and Alabama. This is what Kirby Smart said. First off, I don't hear that a lot. Second of all, I don't measure our program based on their program. I mean, uh, we measure our program based on the best we can do. And uh, we try to do the best job we can each and every year 
our success is based on how we work out, how we perform, how we run, how we turn over the ball, how we convert third down. I mean, it's really that simple. It's not based on another program. I have the utmost respect for um, Nick and Alabama and everything they've done, but that doesn't have anything to do with us. And uh, the focus for us has got to be on us. Obviously, what Kirby Smart says there is just undeniably true that that you know Georgia doesn't have a goal to be like another program because frankly, there's no program better than Georgia. That that Georgia's goal is being the best version of itself that it can be. And you know, I think now, look, if you want to go back to 2017, 2018, when Alabama was ending Georgia's seasons for the most part, obviously the 2017 national championship game that was clue that was true, and for the most part that was true in the 2018 SEC championship there as well. But if you want to go back to that time when Alabama was ending the Georgia seasons, then making the comparison between Georgia and Alabama was obviously an appropriate thing to do. If you want to go back to the conclusion of the 2021 season, there is no doubt every Georgia fan I think would admit this that Georgia getting over the hump and winning that first national championship I think was made more special because it was Alabama that Georgia beat to do that there was a symbolic value in all of that and I think at the time we sort of assumed there would be plenty more moments in which Georgia and Alabama would do battle and maybe Alabama would be better than Georgia one year maybe Georgia would be better than Alabama in one year but in some form or fashion these teams are going to kind of keep battling plenty more times in the future and maybe that's still going to happen honestly none of us can accurately predict the future totally we don't really know what the future holds necessarily but for now I think it's important to understand from a narrative standpoint that Georgia and Alabama is currently not really a very appropriate comparison as it stands right now Georgia won't play Alabama in the regular season and if Georgia is going to play Alabama at some point in the postseason then Alabama's got some work to do a much more accurate comparison right now a much more reflective narrative right now in terms of what is actually going on in college football is to compare Alabama to a program like LSU because it was Alabama losing to LSU a year ago that rendered any kind of comparison with Georgia moot because Georgia's moving on to a national championship while Alabama is sort of watching the, the college football playoff there on TV so at this point in time I think it's actually somewhat insulting to Georgia to even ask the question of how do you measure yourself compare yourself to Alabama right now Georgia measures itself compares itself to teams that were actually in the college football playoff and this past year Alabama wasn't now maybe Kirk Herbstreit who we kind of heard from yesterday maybe he turns out to be right maybe Alabama will be just right back there in the discussion and maybe Alabama kind of proves itself to once again be the number one potential stumbling block standing in the way of Georgia maybe that's why all this is going to play out here this year but it's not obvious that's going to be the case. And so when Kirby Smart says, hey, right now, we're just trying to be the best version of ourselves we can be, that's not just coach peak. Uh, any kind of comparison with Alabama right now is, I think, somewhat irrelevant, just given the fact that this past year, Alabama was not a playoff team, and it's not obvious they're going to be one there again. So interesting words from Kirby Smart on a topic that uh, a lot of media types just don't want to let die uh, whether Alabama is good enough to warrant the comparison there or not. But nonetheless, we'll make that around the doghouse here today. Now, before we bring on Connor Riley, let me also give you an update on a contest that hopefully you've submitted an entry for. And if you have not done so, maybe you still have time to do that between now and June 17th to get involved in our Celebrate American Heroes event we have going on courtesy of our friends at Kroger and Traeger Grills. Now, I love this because I love America. I love American Heroes. And we've just kind of come off of the Memorial Day holiday, which we observe in honor of those who gave their life to our country. And we're also coming up on July 4th, which is Independence Day and our nation's birthday and the time of year in which we're sort of thinking about all of the things that make America great. But for me, 
I would say one of the things that truly makes our country great are not necessarily the 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 famous stories of true heroism, but it's sort of the everyday folks who just make our life better. Those are the kind of American heroes that we interact with on a regular basis. And you know so many of those people and telling the story of one of those people may also make you a winner courtesy of Traeger and Kroger. Uh, Traeger's going to give away an Ironwood XL grill. Kroger's going to give away a $500 gift card to somebody who tells a great story about someone who's been an American hero in their own life. So here's what you do. If you go to dongnation.com, you can upload a photo, you can share a short video, which will stand as your entry into this contest, the story that you tell of an everyday American hero that's impacted your life. It's fun to celebrate folks like this. It's also fun to be a big winner, which you could be courtesy of Traeger grills and Kroger. So the contest is ongoing right now. Entries accepted up to June 17th. So please go to the top of the page at dognation.com. You can click in there. You can find out more about this. You can upload your entry, and you can be a part of what we have going on there. So big thanks to our friends at Traeger Grills. That Ironwood XL Grills going to be great for somebody. And that $500 gift card from Kroger is going to be really good, too, to put food on that grill. So some really exciting stuff going on. Dognation.com for more details on that between now and June 17th, your chance to enter. All right, so a lot's going on here at UGA. Uh, spring meetings last week in Destin, Florida. Big recruiting win for Georgia here today. Uh, a lot more on the horizon. Let's cover it all with Connor Riley. Here's a part of Dog Nation Daily presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Had a chance to talk to Connor Riley this morning very early in light of the Justin Green announcement, so happy to be able to do that again. Connor, I guess let's start with recruiting here for a moment, then we'll kind of get into some of the other stuff that's going on. How big is the addition of Justin Green here for this class of 2024 for UGA? I really think massive is a fair word to use here. Uh, Georgia needs defensive linemen in this class. It's the most important position, in my opinion, for this recruiting cycle. Trey Scott's a great developer of talent. He's shown he's a great recruiter. Uh, Landing Justin Green, especially at this time in the process, I think it's huge for Georgia. Tremo Waltower, Zion Logue, Warren Brinson, Nas Stockhouse are all seniors and probably off to the NFL after this season. And so you're going to need, you know, you'd love it if some of the some of the recruits they sign in this class to be, you know, impactful players, guys that can get on the field day one. But the biggest thing they need in this class is just raw bodies. And, you know, Bear Alexander transferring out, Sean, Sean Washington transferring out does not help in that regard. So landing a player, uh, just landing a defensive lineman, first and foremost, Green being the first one in this class is huge. The, guy, the, the fact that this guy is this good and a guy who I think, you know, right now he's number 101 or number 108, depending on which recruiting service you look at, I think he's got a chance to climb that as he continues to get better because that's all he's really done in the past year. So for Trey Scott to win this recruiting battle, especially after coming in late, Georgia was admittedly a little behind at the start of this recruitment. For them to win, Justin Green coming off this big recruiting weekend, I don't think it can be understated just how big it is. I said this before you joined us, that to me, the Georgia program strength right now is demonstrated by the quality of its position coaches. And if you gave me the choice of I can have the nicest stadium or I can have the best position coaches, if I can have you know, the best weight room or the best position coaches – I want that human resource. I want those. I want those, those. Those assistant coaches out there spanning the globe, looking for the best talent, developing the best talent. To me, the best part of Kirby Smart at Georgia, I believe, 
it's the position coaches that he's hired to kind of fill out this staff and the fact that he's retained so many of them. Trey Scott, to me, the latest example of that. I don't know that anything, Connor, demonstrates this program's strength more than guys like Trey Scott continuing to win battles like this, being great mentors to guys who go on to be first-round picks. This, to me, right now is what makes Georgia, Georgia. Trey Scott, year seven in the program. Glenn Schumann, year eight in the program. Todd Hartley going into year five in the program. Uh, the fact that Del McGee, also year eight going into the program. The fact that Georgia has been able to retain so many of these key assistants. I think is a big reason why, for the most part, you know, Georgia's recruited the inside linebacker position extremely well. They've recruited the tight end position extremely well. They've recruited the defensive line position extremely well. When you're able to sell to stability at these positional coaching spots, you know, defensive line, inside linebacker, tight end, it certainly makes guys feel a lot more comfortable about committing to your program. And to your point about, you know, nicer stadium, nicer facilities, NIL money, things like that. Talking to guys like Trayvon Walker, Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, even Jalen Carter when we got a chance to, they all raved about Trey Scott. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a whole lot of talk about NIL money or how nice the facilities here are at Georgia. They, they spoke loudly and clearly about just how important Trey Scott was in their development. All those guys are first-round picks, and that makes it a lot easier to recruit players like Justin Green. You, know, uh, you can go back in the Dog Nation Daily Archives to when I first started working there in 2018 and even 2019 to an extent. And there would have been a time where landing a player on the defensive line yeah. of Justin Green's caliber would have been, you know, the equivalent of landing a five-star quarterback or yeah. a five-star running back. Yeah. Georgia for a long time, which was not swimming in those waters. And so for us now to sort of be in a spot where Georgia lands a fringe top 100 defensive lineman, sort of, you know, I mean, it's a win, but it's not being seen as this, you know, big celebration across the fan base, I think speaks to what Trey Scott has been able to build here. And that goes back to, I think, your larger point about the importance of position coaches at Georgia. Fair and balanced here for a moment. How bad is the loss of Sammy Brown? Not not necessarily unforeseen that he would go to Clemson. That's obviously been a major factor in his recruitment. Plenty of people, I'm sure, probably predicted that from the onset. Uh, Brown did announce for Clemson yesterday. This is a guy that uh, Georgia, I think, had tried to be all in on. How bad is the loss of Brown here for the Dogs? That's not the word I would use. I mean, it's certainly an L in recruiting, and that happens from time to time. You're not going to sign every top prospect. But, I mean, go look at what they signed in last year's cycle. Raylan Wilson, C.J. Allen, Troy Bowles. It's going to be hard for Sam Brown, as talented as he is, and he is extremely talented, to get on the field over those guys. Uh, Jalen Walker, in my opinion, he'd be the best player on at least 10 defenses in the SEC, and he's not even going to start this year. Uh, that inside linebacker room is absolutely loaded right now. And, you know, your tweet yesterday about it, I thought, you know, it, it takes a certain type of player and person to want to come in here and play right away. And, and knowing that you're going to have to work really hard, I think it speaks volumes about what Georgia got in the 2023 recruiting cycle. They got three of those guys that know it's not going to be easy to get on the field, certainly in year one and maybe even in year two. You know, you look at a guy like Xavier Sorry, he was a five-star prospect coming in. He's barely seen the field in his first two years at Georgia. And I, I think there's a good chance that maybe Sammy Brown would have followed a similar model. At, at Clemson, you know, they have two really talented linebackers that are both draft eligible this year, Jeremiah Trotter and Barrett Carter. But those guys are going to be draft picks probably after this year, and so there is an easier path to the field there. But, you know, Justin Powell has mentioned Carter before. You go back to that 2021 recruiting class, I'm sure we sat here on Dog Nation Daily at that point and talked about what a loss that was and how much it stung. I know I've certainly written about it. Where the rebounds when they go and get Jamon Dumas Johnson and Shamal Munden, who, uh, you know, as good as and talented as Carter is, I don't think any Georgia fan would trade what Munden and Dumas Johnson did last year for what Carter yeah. would potentially do. And so, uh, you know, 
it's a loss, sure. I'm sure there are a lot of fans that don't like it, that he went to Clemson just up the road, a team Georgia's going to see to open the 2024 season. But bad, and loss is really even not necessarily, I think, a fair term here. Georgia's going to recruit really good inside linebackers in this class because they always do. You know, I think it's a little, it's a little bit similar to, you know, Georgia sees Landon Thomas flip to Florida State. They're, they turn around, they land Jaden Riddell, they land Colton Heinrich, they might land Carter Nelson out of Nebraska. They're going to be just fine at the inside linebacker position. So I thought you had an interesting point at DogNation.com about this, which is if you ask me across college football who's the most interesting team in the country right now, Clemson would be one of my most interesting teams because honestly I'm just not quite so sure how good they're going to be they might be very good with the hire of Garrett Riley as offensive coordinator or they might be kind of the team they sort of appeared to be the last couple of years which is frankly just not very interesting and certainly not really in the college ball playoff conversation they're kind of a swing team to me right now but the point that I think you brought up which I think is pretty accurate that when you look at how Clemson has continued to sort of recruit the state of Georgia I mean winning Sammy Brown it's a big battle uh, for them that's a big win for them you know I, I liked Vic Burley as a player a year ago I, I like Stefan Green I mean like they've been involved with some big enough names here still in the state of Georgia that you know, it's not a complete demise yet for them in the Dabo Sweeney era. They haven't been very good offensively. Maybe Garrett Riley changes that. But, you know, they are still a factor for big name in-state recruits, and you do got to give them a little bit of respect for that. Clemson is a team that can't wait, I think, for the 12-team playoff to start. I don't think right now is constituted. They're good enough on a year-in, year-out basis just from a talent standpoint to win a 14-team playoff. I, I think, you know, they've – they have made the most of some of the talent they had. Obviously, the coaching turnover they had, losing Tony Elliott, losing Brent Venables, uh, I think has set the program back a little bit. And you really you can go back to that 2021 season opener, I think it's an inflection point for both Georgia and Clemson. Georgia wins that game 10-3. And, 10 to 3. and if the game Clemson, you know, they play a little bit better, they probably could have won that day. Now, they would have had to play a lot better offensively because I think you could have left them out there all night and they still wouldn't have scored a touchdown. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Georgia, since that game, is 29-1, and and they've won back-to-back national titles. Clemson is 21-5, and and while well, that's still very good, if they're playing an SEC-type schedule and not beating up on a, on a uh, pie-soft uh, ACC schedule, you know, you wonder what that record might be. And so I, I, I think going forward, yes, I think Dabo Sweeney has shown, you know, to quote Mark Twain, uh, rumors of my demise sure. are greatly exaggerated. And, and so, you know, they're still going to be a factor, but they're a team, in my opinion, that, you know, they might be able to get to a Final Four in a 12-team playoff because of the talent they bring in and because of the schedule they play. But in a 14-team playoff era, which we are still currently in, uh, you know, they've clearly got some ground to make up. Maybe the hire of Garrett Riley helps them do that. But they got a long way to go. And, you know, as much as we sat and we talked here about the quarterbacks, I mean, really, since Justin Ross picked up that injury, during, I think, at the end of the 2019 season, when is the last time they had really dynamic wide receiver play? Yeah. It's, it's really interesting to me. You look at the way people talk about Georgia now, where I think a lot of people assume it's just going to be you insert Carson back and keep this machine rolling. That's kind of how we used to t- talk about Clemson, where they went from Deshaun Watson, Kelly Bryant, one-year stopover, and then Trevor Lawrence, and then DJ Uyunglele, before we sort of found out that DJ Uyunglele couldn't cut it quite there at Clemson. And now you look at, you know, the way they used to talk about Georgia. Do they have the quarterback play? Do they have the elite wide receiver play? That's how they're talking about Clemson right now. So it's really interesting to me to see how these two programs have flipped because three, four years ago, I think we would have been sitting here saying, yeah, Georgia's a team that would love to get into a 12-team playoff because they have the talent, you know, to make potentially a deep run. But I don't know if they have quite the goods to get to a 14-team playoff yet. And so that's flipped in the last two years, and I'll be really interested in seeing how it goes going forward when we ultimately get a 12-team playoff. I want to change. I want to change the subject, and I mean this straightforward, matter-of-factly. 
How many national championships would Georgia have to win, Connor, before someone would predict them to win the national championship in the preseason? And I mean this. Uh, once again, it's an offseason where it sort of feels like two years ago of – it sort of seems like the most prominent voice in the sport. We had some fun at Kirk Herbstreit expense yesterday, just not really seeming to acknowledge what Georgia has done over the course of the last two seasons. I find it amazing that here we are in another offseason where it seems like Georgia's earning some skepticism, even though they've laid waste to college football for two straight years. Follow me on this, because I'm going to say they need to win two more to sort of get to that Alabama level of just pencil them in as the title favorite every year, which is, Essentially what Kirk Herbstreit is doing, if you go back and look at the comments he made last offseason, he essentially echoed the same thing of, oh, Alabama's going to be the hungrier team because they didn't end last season the way they wanted to. Uh, And we saw how that played out. They weren't hungry. If anything, they were pretty clearly less hungry and lucky that I think Bryce Young bailed them out in the manner in which he did in a lot of close games last season. So, uh, you know, this year I think Georgia does, in, in a rational sense, I think enter as a title favorite, and I wouldn't be surprised if they win. I think what will be interesting is a year from now, they lose a lot of key contributors off this team, off this program going forward. And so I think, you know, they probably need one more to really, you know, hammer at home. And if they do win three straight, it'll be unprecedented. It's never been done in the history of the AP poll era. And so I'll be interested in seeing how that goes. But if they can get a fourth under Kirby Smart, you know, the list of coaches that have won four national titles is incredibly small. Uh, real national titles anyway, and the fact that he'll have done that in a college football playoff era where you're playing more games, you're playing more elite teams, and it's just that much harder to win. I think when you get to that four threshold, that's wild as that is to sound to believe because, I mean, three years ago, if you had told us, yeah, Georgia's going to win two national championships back-to-back, you and I would have would have run to the podium to sign that form. And so, you know, two more, I think, ends and answers any all questions. And I, I would point out as well, you know, I think part of this, too, is just the deferential that, that Herb Street has to Nick Saban. And Saban, in some respect, has earned that. But, you know, if Saban, say, retires after this year, they don't win a national title, and Alabama undergoes further coaching change and turnover, I think maybe then you start asking that question of, okay, well, Georgia's pretty clearly the best team, and they don't have Nick Saban hanging around anymore. So what is Alabama? And, and pretty clearly that's going to swing in the favor of Georgia. So my Nick Saban-related conspiracy theory is is that the kind of present tense nostalgia we see for Nick Saban kind of playing out right now, a lot of the writers or, or commentators, things like that, they've been covering Nick Saban for such a long time. They can kind of remember when Saban's dominance first started back when they were young. And I think there's a thought that if Saban's still on top in college football, that means I'm still young. I feel like that's a lot of the love for Saban, kind of where it comes from, that, hey, life hasn't changed too much if Nick Saban's still on top in college football. But I know you wrote about this at dognation.com as well. You know, the fact that Kirby Smart's even still being asked about comparison with Alabama, when Alabama lost two regular season games a year ago, that to me is also a, a little bit of an insult here. And, you know, last year you had unanimous assumption that Georgia was going to be behind both Ohio State and Alabama. Georgia was preseason number three. And now you've got a guy like Herb Street saying that he would take Georgia right now as the third best team in the SEC. I mean, I think if you're a Georgia fan and you're bothered by that, I think you have a right to be. Now, most of this is just kind of, you know, for fun and we just sort of find things to argue about and, you know, kind of do that as a little bit of a sport. But, you know, I do think it's fair to call out the just sort of, I guess the way in which some of these opinions right now just incredibly missed the mark. Since 2019, do you know how who has more losses between Georgia and Alabama? Uh, tell us. It, it's, it's Alabama. They've lost more games in the last four years. A pretty, I would say, significant sample size. You could have a player 
who's coming to college, played all four years, graduated, gone on to be an NFL draft pick. Nolan Smith comes to mind there over the course of his college career. Alabama lost more times than Georgia did. And so I think you're right. There is a certain nostalgia, a reverence of looking back. I mean, I've said it before. Since Kirby Smart left Alabama, Georgia has won the same amount of national titles as, as Alabama has. And, and one of those, and look, I've been as high on that 2020 Alabama team as anyone. I think they beat 2019 LSU in a neutral field. But I think you do have to recognize that that year was just so different. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I've, I've said the NBA title that year was the Mickey Mouse title. Uh, uh, you know, if you want to go that far and say that about Alabama's 2020 title, go ahead. I'm sure certain Georgia fans have out there. I'm sure Alabama fans are pulling their hair out listening to me right now. And why they're listening to Dog Nation Daily, I have no idea. But <laughs> largely, uh, you know, I, I think you're right in the sense that, you know, this is sort of a long tail sort of thinking with Alabama. of Oh, this is the program that, you know, they were a decade ago or even in, say, 2015, 2016 when they, they win a national title in 15 and come very close to winning again in 16. And the reality is, what has Alabama shown you to do that? And again, you know, look, Kirk Herbstreit is as good as it gets in this business. He's a very good commentator. Alabama just lost the number one overall offensive player in the country in Bryce Young, who went to the NFL, and the number one defensive player in Will Anderson. I know they've recruited really well. I don't know how you get better losing players of that caliber. And I'm sure they're going to go out here and show us this year. I think right now, if I had to pick, look, I was someone in January who was on LSU – there are way too many people on LSU right now, so I have my concerns there about that. I, I think Alabama, they've got to go out there and show and prove it that this is a program that they are who they were six, five, six years ago because the team we've seen, certainly the last two years, is just not that same caliber of Alabama program. And so I think Saban has to go out there and show that this program is getting back to that. And with the quarterback questions they have right now, with the offensive line having a lot to play up to in terms of where they have been of late, you know, there are just a lot of questions for me about Alabama. And I do think to an extent, because of who they were for the past decade, they are getting a little bit of a pass in terms of how some people talk about them in the media. Final thing I want to backtrack here for a minute. I was gone last week. I'm sure you had plenty of chance to weigh in on this. The SEC staying in an eight-game conference late for 2024. Uh, with the door open to make the change prior to 2025, kind of a long-term change taking place after that. What do you make of all of this here right now, Connor? So you had a tweet about this that I saw last night uh, while you were on vacation, and I actually, you know, saying, you know, ESPN should give the SEC more money. I actually put a lot of this on Greg Sankey, and I think this is, and I don't want this word to get, you know, lost in the shuffle because we throw it around a lot. I think it's a failure on Greg Sankey's part. I, 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 you know, it goes back to, okay, you sign this television contract and then you bring in Texas and Oklahoma. That's a very bad order of operations right there. The move should have been made. You bring in Texas and Oklahoma first and then you negotiate that TV deal. I think all that we have seen play out over the last two years, and which is stunning that it's taken two years for them to even come to some semblance of agreement on a schedule model, I think it's a reflection of, in my opinion, poor leadership. And, and so, look, I, he's got a really tough job trying to wrangle 14 and ultimately soon 16 SEC programs. If I'm ESPN, I negotiated to deal with you. It's not my fault that you go out and add more teams and, and try to add more value after you sign a contract with us. And, and so I don't believe that ESPN should be trying to fork over more money to play more SEC games. And, and quite frankly, the fact that there's so much infighting with, you know, with the way that this schedule thing has played out of certain teams want eight games, certain teams want nine games, and it seems like it's really split. I mean, that just 
four or five years ago, heck, even going back to the Mike Five era, it seems pretty wild that you would have certainly that level of public leakage of, of fracturing sides and, and the fact that this has continued to go on like this and you have continued to put a target on your back, I, I think is really just reflective of the SEC not necessarily having the leadership that it needs to, to get through this and foster this. I get he's got to answer to the presidents. I get the ADs are the ones that are making these decisions, and he's ultimately speaking for them. But I, I think you and I both agree, just go to nine games and figure it out, and it's easier to say for Georgia when you know they want to play more big-time games and they have the talent to win more of those big-time games. But the fact that we've been talking for so long about this and are going to have to continue to talk about this because they very made it clear that this is a one-year holdover, I think just really reflects poorly not on the ESPN side of this, but on the leadership of Greg Sankey and really the leadership of the conference as a whole. That's an interesting way of looking at this. I guess the way I'll say it is because I do think that the ball is an ESPN score. You're like, if you want better inventory, if you want more inventory, then I think you ought to have to pay for it. Like, well, like we are in a time now in which all pretense of this being anything other than a business is completely stripped away so holding out for every dollar you might be able to get because there was sort of a prorated a consideration for Texas and Oklahoma coming into the SEC so it seems like there could still be room for saying okay well how about we prorate additional conference you know inventory that we would provide for you so you know to me the ball is an ESPN score here but putting that aside for a moment whether you kind of blame Sankey for this or you blame ESPN for kind of withholding additional finances here I think it is going to be a little bit of a travesty if, like, say, three years from now, Texas and Oklahoma have been full-fledged members of the SEC for, you know, going on a, you know, a year, and this is only an eight-team conference slate. Like, something will have been lost from that. That means that we have traded great tradition like Deep South's oldest rivalry, third Saturday in October. Uh, even, like, Texas, Texas A&M wouldn't be played on a yearly basis either. Like, like if we add Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC, but, but don't hold on to the – traditional rivalries that have been in place and don't you know add these traditional rivalries that now could be in place then to me that's just kind of a bungled thing where like you, you know you've made change for the sake of change you've sort of thrown tradition in the trash and you really haven't gotten much for it if if the SEC sticks with say an eight game model and they decide that Georgia going to Texas A&M and Georgia going to Mississippi State and Georgia going to Missouri every year is more important than Georgia playing Auburn every year, we should just pack the sport up because it's very clearly at that point trying to be, I guess, an inferior version of the NFL. And look, you know, look, I've made, I've made it clear. I prefer the NFL to college football, but what makes college football special is that Georgia Auburn game. It is Tennessee, Alabama. Tennessee got its butt kicked by Alabama for what? 13 straight years, maybe 14, 14, 15 straight years, an incredibly long amount of time. They win last year, and you see how much that game means to them. And the idea that you're going to take that away so that Tennessee can go play at Oklahoma and Florida can go play Arkansas more often, I just think that's a terrible, you know, short-sighted idea of trying to satisfy, you know, people outside of your footprint. Like, sure, Georgia fans would love to go to Texas A&M once more than every 12 years. But at the same point in time, if that means taking away all Georgia Auburn, taking away you know marquee games like Tennessee, Florida, I think that's incredibly short-sighted and ultimately going to hurt your product because those big games, those big rivalry games, are what draw fans in on a yearly basis. You know, like Texas A&M is not going to be good every year. Uh, you know, Georgia may eventually be a down program. It'll be a long time from now, and you and I will both probably be long gone from this earth. <laughs> but you know. 
Georgia, Florida is always going to mean something. Georgia, Auburn is always going to mean something to the people invested in both sides of that. And if we're just willing to trade that in and not keep that on the schedule, I just think that's incredibly wrong. And again, reflects poorly on not just the leadership of Shanky, but the leadership of the SEC as a whole and potentially how out of touch they would be, I think, with their with their alumni, with the people who root for their university, with sort of, again, you know, you're right to call this a business, with their consumers. Yeah, so quick final point for me on this, and we'll wrap up. I remember being on the air, you know, SEC Media Days week, you know, going back a couple of years ago when this first came of delight that Texas and Oklahoma are going to be in this league. And kind of the thing that struck me about it then, and I still remember it now, is just how little excitement there was about it. I didn't hear a ton of excitement coming from the Texas, Texas, uh, Oklahoma camps. Certainly Georgia fans were not that excited about this kind of annexation of two big powers. There was a lot of curiosity. What does this mean? Uh, A lot of interest in the story, of course. But in terms of people thinking, oh, the SEC had flexed by going out and getting, getting these two big schools, there wasn't a ton of that. There was a lot of, I'm not quite so sure this is what I want the SEC to be. So I think in light of what you're saying and in light of kind of what I'm saying, I do think this is a moment for SEC leadership to be very careful here, that 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 you've got a way to potentially make your league better, but you could also make this league kind of lose some of what's made it special if you're not careful how you handle your business here over the course of the next year. Would you agree with that? I do. Uh, you know, it, it goes back to, again, you know, you know, when we get into, you know, the R.S. Andrews pick show we do over the year, over the year, we have games where, you know, it's easy to be like a big SEC fan, but then like you're a real SEC fan if you're excited to see like how South Carolina, Tennessee play yeah, each other, right, you know, right. Arkansas, Texas A&M, those kinds of games. And those games are, I think, what give the SEC its identity, that you're going to have two physical games, physical games between teams that, you know, have plenty of talent. If you put them in another conference, I think they're capable of, you know, making a run, potentially winning a lesser conference. But if you're just trying to grab the biggest and best powers, you know, going out and grabbing Texas and Oklahoma, I mean, it certainly makes your league deeper. But, again, like, I don't know how the SEC gets any better than it already is. It's, you know, it's conference champion is almost always the favorite to win a national title. Uh, they've had, in my, if I'm doing the math here correctly off the top of my head, which is always dangerous, they've had three different champions from this conference. No other conference has had more than one champion from their conference. And, and so you look at it that way. Look, this league's already incredibly deep. Making it even deeper, like what does that accomplish? Sure, going to, going to Austin will be cool. Going to Norman will be cool. Playing Oklahoma, whatever. Florida was already scheduling those games. They're already going to go play. They're supposed to play at Oklahoma this year, and that game got canceled because yeah. of the SEC. They're supposed to go play at Texas in a few years. You're going to see those types of games. And so, you know, adding them to the league, we'll ultimately see if it's a net good. I'm skeptical of it. And so, ultimately, again, you know, Greg Snake's first comment said, we're not going to let money dictate that. I find that incredibly laughable. All of this comes back to money. Right. All of this has been done in the name of the almighty dollar. And so, you know, just be honest and say, yeah, we're trying to make as much money here as we can. And, and you know, I think most college fans will understand that. No longer about the rivalries. It's no longer about the big, the big Saturday tailgates. It's just about these schools getting as much money as they can. Connor, fascinating stuff. We always love the conversation. Thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia Today. We'll look forward to reading a lot more from you at dognation.com. And, of course, talking to you very soon there as well. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure, B.A. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. I think what Connor says there is kind of an interesting point, basically in terms of 
how do we get to a scheduling model for the SEC that most people kind of view as unsatisfactory? The majority of folks, I think, view as unsatisfactory. How do we get here? You know, I kind of put the blame more on ESPN for what I think is, you know, kind of some closed purses at the moment. Connor puts the blame on Greg Sankey. Let me take what Connor says at face value for a moment just to say this, that moving forward, this game becomes a whole lot more about chess than it does, I don't know, Battleship or something like that. Like, like you know, you can't win with strength alone. You can't win with uh, just sheer raw power alone. You do have to strategize a little bit, and you do have to kind of play the strategy out here a little bit because – you know, the SEC saw the option to swoop in and grab Texas and Oklahoma. That's what it did. Well, the Big Ten responded. They swooped in. They grabbed USC and UCLA. And that's adding the kind of two big LA powers to a league in the Big Ten that already had, you know, the makings of a more lucrative media rights contract. Because as we said before, Big Ten states, just generally speaking, are a little bit bigger. Big Ten alumni bases are generally speaking a little bit bigger. And so, therefore, you add two big schools, two L.A. schools, UCLA and uh, USC, into the fold there for the Big Ten. And so, now for the SEC, you're trying to figure out, okay, how do we respond? What's our next move on the basis of what, you know, the, the, the Big Ten has done? And, like, it's not obvious that there's another conference expansion play for the SEC to make. Like, look at the situation in the ACC for a moment, where there are clearly some teams like Florida State and Clemson that want out of the ACC. But legally speaking, it's not obvious to me, based on the stuff that I've read, that they could break the contract they currently have with the ACC. And even if they were on the open market, this is where things get tricky. To me, it seems like a Florida State or a Clemson or maybe even a Miami, that those programs would have a lot more value to the Big Ten than they would to the SEC because the fact that the SEC is already prevalent in South Carolina. And it's already prevalent in Florida, even in that sort of Florida panhandle area where Tallahassee is located that I don't know that the SEC would gain as much value from bringing in Florida State and Clemson the way that the Big Ten would because this is the Big Ten now moving into an area in the country which they're not currently located. So once again, this becomes about strategy and moves not necessarily being obvious, but how you keep pace financially is going to really matter, especially in some sort of future world where it is not that hard to conceive even like I'm talking about in the short term future that one of these days that football players may be classified as employees and if they're employees they don't necessarily work for the university they may be working for the conference and if you're a conference that has more revenue coming in you have more ability to pay the players and so therefore keeping pace financially with the big 10 is a very important job for the sec and sheer raw strength and power alone or sheer ambition alone is not going to be enough. You've got to have some careful strategizing here. And that puts a lot of uh, a challenge at the feet of Greg Sankey. We'll see how that plays out. For now, though, no strategy to worry about here. Just simply straightforward uh, from this point when it comes to our friends at Royal Caribbean and cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. I can promise you that if you make the decision here, summer 2023, looking towards the end of this year, early 2024 when you start thinking about all those things making your plans for a great royal caribbean cruise vacation will never be a mistake it'll be the kind of thing that you will be very glad you did so take time to reach out to jessica slater she's a great travel agent you can call her 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 let her tell you about everything that's on the uh, slate here for Royal Caribbean, including you've heard me talk about it before, and we're getting closer to the debut beginning of next year, January of 2024. I'm talking about Icon of the Seas. And I continue to hear things about Icon. It's going to be a brand new ship, brand new category of ship 
uh, you know, debuting for Royal Caribbean. And it's really going to redefine the cruise, I think, vacation experience because it's going to have the largest water park at sea. It's going to have an entire collection of... Uh, of entertainment options unlike anything before uh, you're gonna have i think wizard of oz i believe is the uh, wonderful you know broadway style production they're gonna make available it's it's just the kind of amazing stuff i've seen some of the bar and restaurant concepts they're gonna have i mean it's such a big step forward for the cruise industry and everybody's excited about it and you have a chance to be one of the first to sail on it so give jessica a call she can tell you about icon of the seas or if you can't wait until january to take your next royal caribbean cruise or maybe your first royal caribbean cruise then all the better time to be planning all of that right now great to be cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean i'm going to cheat here a little bit i'm going to put some georgia themed stories into our sec through here for a moment including the diamond dogs yesterday announcing that uh west johnson the pitching coach lsu has been hired as georgia's baseball coach somebody asked me before the show started today what do i think about johnson now as the georgia baseball coach the honest answer is i guess i just don't really know this is an example of you can go proven head coach at kind of the lower level I had sort of had my eye on the Campbell coach a little bit, which I know we're getting deep in the weeds here on college baseball if we're talking about the Campbell Camels, but uh, I'd sort of followed them a little bit this year. You know how these coaching searches go. You sort of kind of like get your name or so you sort of find an attachment to some guy and that becomes your guy that you sort of ride with. And that the Campbell coach, whatever his name is, I'm not even really sure. Uh, he'd been kind of my guy in all of this. That's the guy I sort of hoped that George would hire. I have no reason to think that Johnson's going to be a bad coach. Uh, obviously the foundation much like we talked earlier in the program defensive line kind of being the foundation of college football well the foundation of baseball is always going to be good pitching uh the guy coming from lsu here has got a background with pitching he's worked in major league baseball you kind of like that there has been some reporting out there there's there's a guy named kendall rogers who covers college baseball for a website called d1 baseball probably the most prominent website covering college baseball kendall rogers is probably the most prominent college baseball reporter he had said that he had kind of heard that georgia was you know kind of not necessarily looking to pay top dollar for this baseball coach i don't know if that's true or not i have no way of knowing that uh you know i I don't know where roger sourcing would have come from on that but that's a pretty prominent voice who was saying that you know georgia wasn't necessarily looking to spend as much as it possibly could to bring in this baseball coach i guess the one thing i'd always kind of wonder because we know that you know going back to the uga spring meetings of the day we know that there's some big time facility enhancements coming for georgia baseball that that's been much needed and georgia's going to get that here's the one thing i guess i would kind of wonder long term over the course of the past looking into the future i wonder how much georgia suffers from being so close to a major league team the atlanta braves because you look at lsu big support from their fans you know box we got the box whatever that stadium is you know it's always full a lot of money coming into lsu baseball also a long way from any kind of you know you're probably what the closest team is probably the houston astros a couple hours down the road uh you know that's you know not really a major league market a lot of, a lot of money kind of poured into lsu baseball same for mississippi state same for vanderbilt you know nashville far removed from a major league team you know tennessee kind of an example of that where you have these sec teams that play in many cases several hours away from the closest major league team and so it seems like they get a level of baseball support that oftentimes doesn't exist here in georgia because a lot of big time georgia fans are also big time atlanta braves fans their baseball itch gets scratched so to speak by major league baseball and so therefore it seems like at times the passion of this fan base hasn't been as high for baseball 
as it is in places where you don't have that major league baseball team right there in your backyard to kind of support. This is all just speculation on my part, but it's one of those things I've kind of wondered about. Same thing for like, in some respects, college basketball there as well. A lot of SEC teams play far removed from the NBA, but, you know, Georgia's right in the backyard of a major, you know, U.S. city that has, you know, professional sports, you know, across the entire landscape there. How much do the non-football sports at UGA suffer because of that? Because they kind of exist in the shadow of professional sports in a way that other SEC teams in more far-flung places, far removed from big city professional sports, that just doesn't quite exist. Maybe that's not a thing, but it's something I've kind of wondered about. And we'll tell you this, with the Super Regionals getting ready to begin, I'm jealous, man. I'm jealous of the fun that Tennessee fans get to have. You know, we saw Texas A&M eliminated last night, but the fun that other SEC teams get to have. Florida, you know, going to be in a Super Regional. You can kind of look. We're guaranteed of having an SEC team in the College World Series once again. Yeah, I'm jealous of that. I've watched a lot of these uh, NCAA regionals over the course of the last you know few days. I think it's a really fun. I mean, I think college baseball is such an underrated sport. It doesn't get nearly the attention. Um, uh you know that it deserves for whatever reason espn has not chosen to give as much promotion of this some of the other college athletics events that it's you know able to televise uh college baseball can't quite seem to get uh, as much attention from espn for whatever reason uh but i wish it would get more attention i think it's a great sport and i think it deserves its spotlight here and i hope that george is a part of this in the future so i don't know how good this baseball coach will be uh but we certainly wish him well and we'll certainly be behind him as he tries to uh, resurrect a baseball program that it Really, has, Georgia has a pretty good history, and it's time to bring that good history back. Uh, speaking of history, College Football Hall of Fame announced its candidates yesterday. A couple of Georgia names of note. Here's Richard Seymour, who just went to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, Garrison Hurst in there as well, which is frankly kind of weird that Garrison Hurst isn't already in the College Football Hall of Fame. You know, of all the Halls of Fame, the College Football Hall of Fame is probably the strangest in terms of how you get in, who's not in. It, <laughs> The criteria to me is always pretty weird, but this is also kind of cool from the standpoint that like Michael Vick is up in consideration this year. I think it'd be fun to see his Virginia Tech career honored. I think it'd be kind of a cool thing. There are actually some pretty uh, Larry Fitzgerald is a part of this. Obviously, a great wide receiver from Pitt. There's actually a lot of cool names in consideration here, including Garrison Hurst and Richard Seymour. So we wish them well as they seek enshrinement in the College Football Hall of Fame, which now, as you know, is in Atlanta. And I briefly mentioned this yesterday, but I'll mention it now. So uh, Netflix is going to have late August a documentary about Florida football and (laughs) it kind of covers the Urban Meyer era when Tim Tebow was there and obviously Aaron Hernandez was there. Um, I don't really know how impactful this is going to end up being. Obviously, be the kind of thing we end up laughing about if it makes you know Florida look like a bad you know kind of paints Florida in a bad light. Uh, but other than that, you know, a lot of this is kind of a long time ago now. So it may be interesting TV, but does it really move the the needle, move the meter very much? I guess it depends on how salacious some of this documentary stuff ends up being. Maybe the most interesting aspect of this is. If the documentary goes the way that I think some people think it's going to, sort of casting that era of Florida football in kind of a negative light, uh, certainly an interesting light, maybe potentially a negative light, just given some of the Aaron Hernandez-related stuff that kind of went on there. To me, this is going to further tarnish what has become a little bit of, I mean, I mean, the reputation that Urban Meyer has as a coach. Have you seen anyone's coaching star fall so fast? It's really kind of amazing that when you know Meyer left Florida, this was as big a coach as anyone could have, could have possibly hired. You know, 
Ohio State hires him and he goes on to have great success there I think he kind of introduced a brand of SEC style football and SEC style recruiting there to Ohio State uh you know listen there's a lot about Meyer that you've kind of not always liked over the years but you would have thought of him as one of the big time coaches in college football and, and you want to go back to like 2014 when Meyer's Ohio State team is beating Nick Saban's Alabama team in the college football playoff it was sort of Meyer and Saban sort of thought of as side by side that that when you talk about the best coaches in college football it was not Nick Saban by himself the way that it kind of was for many years after that it was Saban or Meyer these were the sort of the two top guys well since then you know obviously Nick Saban's kind of grown in his coaching stature and since Meyer became the head coach of the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars a lot of reconsideration has taken place on Meyer and kind of looking back on his time at Ohio State a lot of that wasn't very favorable to him you know his behavior while Jacksonville Jaguars coach that did not paint himself in a very strong light and now they're going to kind of go back and reconsider some of his time at Florida there too it's it's been an interesting watch here over the course of the last couple of years watching the Meyer coaching star fall and there may be more falling to take place if this Netflix documentary kind of plays out the way that many of us think that it might we will make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. So speaking of the lousy, stinking Gators, obviously we think they've got a pretty tough game coming up to begin this upcoming season against the Utah Utes, having to go to Salt Lake City. Jarring to see an SEC team, about a double-digit favorite. This is about nine and a half, ten-point number right now. Early look-ahead line has Utah favored over Florida. So Georgia fans may get a chance to see Florida really kind of manhandled to begin the season. Some Georgia fans already thinking about that. We'll do this as a golden shoe today. I thought this was really funny. Brant Evans shares this. I love this. He says, I'm in Salt Lake City grading AP exams, and I had to take an early morning run to the location where the Gators are going to start 0-1 this year. Golden shoe worthy, he asks. Brant, you better believe that's the case. He's there at Utah Stadium, Rice Eccles Stadium, as it's known, a place we think that Florida's going to lose to begin the season. Brant, that's really funny. Uh, thank you for sharing that. We'll give you a golden shoe indeed. Very, very clever and creative. I love that. And we know that Florida's going to lose not just to Utah to begin the season, but also near the end of the season as well at the hand of the Georgia Bulldogs. In fact, that happens 144 days from right now. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see all of you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia.